Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day. We hope you're safe and well. Please be very, very careful. Coming up on our program today, we continue to look at the growing impact of COVID-19 on agriculture. We'll be talking with Purdue Ag Economist Jason Lusk, his thoughts on this latest news, uh, the the hard-hit packing industry now and how that's having a ripple effect through the uh, economy. We'll be talking with Jason about that. Also coming up today, we're going to get details on a Wisconsin dairy recovery program. We'll be talking with the Interim Secretary for the Wisconsin Department of Agriculture, Trade, and Consumer Protection and the Executive Director of Wisconsin's Hunger Task Force. That's coming up later on, as well as Kurt Blades with the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. What impact is COVID-19 having on equipment sales? We'll find out with the latest numbers later in today's program. But we're going to start things off today with Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. Jerry, thanks for joining us. Hope you're well. Uh, I am well. Um, Personally, I'm fine. I'm in my house in Washington uh, receiving emails from everybody about what agriculture uh, wants and needs. uh, You know, I can't say that I have any personal complaints compared with everybody uh, who is sick or working uh, uh, in a meatpacking plant, uh, but it gets really hard to stay home uh, week after week. You know, I've been thinking about this this morning, the challenge that USDA faces, that Secretary Purdue faces. Not only does he have all these requests coming in for assistance, more requests, there's more need than there is money available, so he's got to make those tough decisions. But now he's having to uh, deal with um, assuring and reassuring the public, one, that there's enough food, and two, that the food is safe. This is a real challenge for Secretary Purdue. It, it made me think of years ago when Ann Veneman was Ag Secretary and the, the mad cow situation broke, and there were people worried about the safety of beef. And she, to her credit, and I didn't think this was her strong suit up to that point, but she came, she rose to the occasion. I thought she did a great job of reassuring the public that the food was safe, the beef was safe, and she really did a good job with that. Secretary Purdue finds himself in somewhat of a similar situation now. Uh, well, it's similar in terms of the food supply. Nobody has said that there's any any uh, danger from the food supply in terms of it transmitting COVID-19. Uh, th- as I understand it, the fact that food is porous means that it that the, that it does not the the virus does not stick to food. So that's not the problem. But there is but there are supply concerns. Uh, I think that the that. Though after yesterday, when Trump, when uh, Purdue was at the White House, the biggest issue you've got is these meat plants that are being closed, and there also needs to be great sensitivity with uh, with this. Uh, the situation in in South Dakota is really uh, horrifying, with uh, more than 600 cases coming out of that plant. Uh, and and now it's closed. We don't know what more there is what more there is to come. And companies closing plants in other places. Uh, uh, th- uh, this situation needs to be rectified. But it can't be that the uh, you know that you push people back into these plants under unsafe conditions, 
And one of the complaints is that the workers in these plants are standing so close together. And that's uh, how the, how it, the uh, coronavirus gets transmitted uh, so quickly. Yeah, it's a serious situation. And what I was re- referencing uh, with my earlier comments about reassuring the public, because you have so many people that don't understand how their food gets to them, what they're hearing in the news or seeing in the news, okay, there are coronavirus effect, infected workers in a plant. They've been around the meat, and they're people, you know, consumers start thinking, okay, then is the meat safe? And as you pointed out, there's absolutely no indication that uh, this is being transmitted through our food. So, uh, you know, it's just a matter of reassuring the public. But the other issue, the supply chain issue, is becoming serious. When you hear about the pork industry projecting $5 billion in losses, the beef industry $13 billion in losses, uh, and really every sector of agriculture now being impacted. Uh, uh, yes, uh, you know, every sector is impacted. The commodity prices are low, although the, the commodity uh, producers, uh, the, the grain producers, uh, have not really been asking for specific aid to, uh, uh, at this point. I think that the first uh, uh, tranche of aid is likely to go mostly to the meat industry and to the fruit and vegetable sector. Uh, and one of the things we are learning in this whole process is that so much, this, that there really are two food distribution systems in the country, one that goes to the grocery stores and the other that goes to the restaurants and the institutions. And with all of those closed, the, the foods that go to those places have no, have no place to go uh, unless there are big changes in food distribution. And one of the surprising things to me is in the last couple of days, I've been getting um, uh, letters sent to me about how the food distribution sector uh, needs help to make sure that that it still uh, exists in its current form when we get back to some form of normalcy. We wait to see what Secretary Purdue is going to announce. It would seem one way to help on both ends of this would be for the government to step in, make some big purchases of commodities, which would help the producers, and then get that food into food banks and uh, feeding centers, which would help on that end as well. I think there will be. Uh, I think there will be big food purchases. The only concern I have with that now is with these meat plants closed. Will there be? an adequate supply for the grocery stores. I would think there would be some resistance to buying too much uh, in case those, in case the uh, grocery stores uh, or the distrib- distributors to the grocery stores run short of food uh, in, in a while. Uh, we'll just have to see with that. I would see that problem mostly in that, that being a question of meat. Right. Uh, there could be a, some assistance, say, with fruits, vegetables, with dairy, uh, get, buying some of those products and getting them to uh, the, the feeding centers. Yes, I, I think USDA will do all of that. The question is how much. Uh, and, you know, he really, uh, Purdue really can't spend more than $15.5 billion until July unless Congress comes back and gives him more money because that $14 billion uh, replenishment for the Commodity Credit Corporation will not come to USDA until after a June uh, report is issued. Uh, That apparently is uh, the law. And so all he's got to go with is the $15.5 billion at the present time, and I'm not sure that he wants to spend it all at once. Uh, We'll have to see. All USDA will tell me 
about the aid at this point is that an announcement is coming shortly, but they've been saying that for a couple of days now. So we're hoping something by the end of the week, but we don't know for sure. All right, Jerry, stay well. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. You stay well, too, and all your, all your listeners. Practice some social, social distancing. All right, thank you. Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. Up next, we talk with Purdue ag economist Jason Lusk on AOA. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. We continue our look at the impact of COVID-19 on agriculture. Joining us now is Purdue Ag Economist Jason Lust. Jason, thanks for joining us. Hope you're well. Yep, we're doing fine on my end. How are you, Mike? Very good, very good. Uh, this is a, an interesting situation, different. I mean, I was thinking about how usually in agriculture we're we're focused either on a problem on the supply side or the demand side. And right now we've got a situation where there's demand and there's supply, but the breakdown is in the middle with these plants closing and things like that. Uh, it, kind of an unusual situation for us. Yeah, I, I don't know how many times I can use the word uh, uncertain and, and unprecedented, but it's uh, a lot of activity going on in agricultural markets. And as you suggest, it, it you know from day to day, it's it's hard to know what's driving the markets. And as I hear from listeners, and again, a lot it shows that a lot of people don't understand the food supply chain and the whole system, what it, how food gets to them. Uh, so what they're seeing and hearing on the news is, okay, people are hungry and producers are destroying food or, or don't have a place to go with animals or milk or whatever it may be. They don't understand that. That seems like a huge disconnect. How can both of those be happening at the same time? And it, it really puts the focus on that supply chain, those uh, unnoticed workers to most of us that are in those processing plants and doing things that most of us don't see on a daily basis we're realizing now how critical they are in this supply chain. Yeah, it's, it seems almost paradoxical, you know, on first glance that why can I not find milk in my grocery store and yet farmer, you know, dairy producers are having to dump milk. <laughs> and um, yeah, and, and you're right. And I think one of the things we've learned through this process, if anything, is how complex um, our supply chain is and, and how many uh, of the processing firms in the middle have dedicated supply lines that are geared up to delivering to certain markets in, in restaurants and grocery stores. And it's not, in some cases, it's easy to switch and some companies have been able to do that, but in, in others can't. If you've got a dairy plant that's um, geared up to produce the little small cartons of milk to go into school cafeterias, well, it's, it's not easy. You may not even have the facilities to turn around and put those into gallon jugs or, you know, on the con, you know, now going from small to large, you know, you may be, boxing 50 pound boxes of cheese, you know, to send out to pizza 
places, whereas, you know, that's not going to work in a grocery store setting. So I think that's part of the challenge here is, um, you know, when you, if it was a long-term trend, you'd, you'd make the investment, you'd buy the new capital to switch to selling into a new market. But if this is temporary, like I think we hope it all is, uh, you're just in a, in a really tough spot. You know, a lot's been said about, well, just a few weeks ago, the general economy was booming, and it was, and then it takes this hit. But the ag economy is taking this hit, and it was already struggling coming into this. Yeah, you know, I think sometimes, at least during the last, uh, you know, the Great Recession, it seemed like ag was counter-cyclical. In some ways, ag was pretty good while the you know, overall economy was, was in the tank. Um, you know, this time it seems to be moving together in that direction and, and um, you know, that, that's right. So I think this time it doesn't look like uh, ag is going to escape the economic hurt that, that it looks like the rest of the country is, is going to feel, you know, ho- hopefully um, at least on the demand side of things, if we can get back up and going and the restaurant demand picks back up, that'll help, you know, some pull some more product through the trade issues, um, you know, are, are complex, but, but some of it is logistical related to people being sick and, um, you know, port uh, uh, slowdowns and that kind of stuff. So, you know, to the extent we can get back to a little more normalcy, hopefully we can we can rebound some. We're talking with Purdue Ag Economist Jason Lusk. Jason, a lot of discussion, debate, argument right now about how you restart the economy. Uh, when you look at just the ag economy, how do you see it coming back from this? Yeah, well, you know, in some cases, I think it hopefully can be pretty quick. You know, on the meat side of things, the disruptions partly we've seen in the last week or so have been due to these plant slowdowns and closures because workers have become, uh, you know, sick. And, and some of these plants are large enough. They contribute a, a non-trivial share of our total processing capacity. And so hopefully, you know, once we get worker more worker precautions in place, temperature checks, you know, spacing, um, you know, more testing done. You know, we can get those back online and, and resolve some of the capacity issues with which are putting downward pressure on livestock prices. So I think that's part of it. I, I think, you know, again, once we can kind of move back to letting some of the um, the food away from home sales begin, whether it's uh, restaurants or even cafeterias, people going back to work, I think that'll also put a relief valve on, uh, some of the bottlenecks that we've seen that are, are you know, where we have products that don't have, haven't, don't have the same markets to go to, but, you know, let's, let's be clear, you know, some of the demand shock that we're going to see just from recessionary pressures, lost income, that's not going to go away overnight. And it's disheartening to see some of these lines at food banks uh, and that kind of thing. Um, you know, that, that may well stick with us for a little while longer because that's an income issue. And, you know, generally people still have to eat during a recession, but they're going to, they're going to eat different things. Um, and, and one, you know, there are, depending on different food products, take different hits when incomes fall. Meats, one that tends to be pretty income sensitive. Food away from home is pretty income sensitive, although right now there's no, really almost no food away from home uh, aside from takeout. So that's already being hit. So anything back up from that's going to be a good sign. So, you know, it's, you know, the, the, the story is a little different for every commodity, but, you know, I just heard you talking to your previous guest about ethanol and, you know, uh, that's closely tied to, you know, gasoline use and oil prices. We start driving a lot more again. That could help that market a little bit. So, I mean, there's, there are some optimistic signs to look out for uh, in the, the months ahead. 
Yeah, it seems like that hope is out there that that's turned around. But a lot of producers, companies are wondering, can they make it to that point? Can they make it to mm-hmm. the recovery? And we'll see what USDA comes up with. We know what government, what uh, the government for them seems to be moving at warp speed for them, but it's slow for those in many cases that are in need out there. Uh, do you see dramatic changes, uh, structural changes in our food uh, delivery system? Uh, I, I think in consumer buying, there's going to be some differences. I think this will push even more people to uh, buying online or ordering out or have home deliveries and things like that. Do you, th- do you see a, a, a dramatically different scenario post-COVID-19? Yeah, I think, you know, this uh, coronavirus has already caused a shift towards more online purchases, more grocery, you know, delivery pickup. I mean, that was already trending upwards before this, and it's gone up even more in this time. And so I think that will further accelerate. And people who haven't used those services before that have now used them for the first time, you know, they've gotten over that barrier of, of just trying it out. I think that's going to be there. I think there could be some longer-term structural changes um, that, you know, right now a lot of the grocery delivery is happening from people, you know, still going to your local grocery store, you know, boxing it up or bagging it up and send it to your home. But it's not crazy to imagine that a lot of that gets centralized and more centralized warehouses and deliveries are coming, you know, straight to us from a warehouse so that, you know, there's not even this big grocery store uh, to begin with. So I think there'll be a lot of pressure to think about labor issues and what, what can you do in the food distribution side to, you know, minimize labor use because of that's where these, you know, disease spreads through people. And um, that may be happening all throughout, you know, our supply chain. I mentioned the, the meatpacking plants and there's been, there, you know, there is more automation there than there used to be. You know, a challenge with automating some food plants is unlike, say, automobiles, you know, animals and plants are different sizes, shapes, sometimes different colors. So it's harder to create a machine that can manipulate and move product as easily. But, there, you know, there there are emerging, you know, technologies from artificial intelligence, machine learning, that kind of stuff. And I think, you know, sometimes those have been cost prohibitive in the in the past, but we can see now just how costly it is uh, to have, you know, a disease outbreak among your employees. So I think there will be more automation, probably hitting some of our food processing plants in the future because uh, the economics are are going to make it make look look more. Uh, it's going to pass the cost benefit test more easily now, I believe. Yeah, anytime you have a major world event, and this is certainly uh, one of those, one of the biggest ever, probably uh, there will be there are changes that come afterwards, some opportunities for some, and some uh, changes that others will not want to see. When you get down to some businesses not reopening, some jobs that may not be there, certainly. But I think for all of us, it would be, a, in some ways, different way of life after this is over. Jason, thank you very much for being with us. Stay safe, and we'll talk again. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Take care. Purdue Ag Economist Jason Lusk. All right, up next, we're going to get the, some details on a Wisconsin dairy recovery program dairy farmers of wisconsin and the wisconsin department of agriculture trade and consumer protection have joined forces with uh the hunger task force in wisconsin we'll find out about this effort and hopefully the help for the dairy industry and for people needing dairy products that's coming up next stay with us on aoa heat 
drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice, with powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, we've uh, heard a lot about uh, the situation in Wisconsin with the producers having to dump milk. Well, now we have uh, some word about a Wisconsin dairy recovery program. Dairy Farmers of Wisconsin and the Wisconsin Department of Agriculture, Trade, and Consumer Protection joining with the state's leading anti-hunger organization, that's the Hunger Task Force in Wisconsin, to help provide some relief to uh, those that need food and certainly to help those in the dairy industry as well. Joining us right now is Randy Romanski. He's Interim Secretary for the Wisconsin Department of Agriculture, Trade, and Consumer Protection. Randy, thank you for being with us. Uh, Tell us a little bit about this uh, program and how it works. Well, thanks for the invitation. appreciate uh, having the chance to talk to you. Uh, Well, as we all know, uh, farmers work hard every day to produce whatever product they they make. And in Wisconsin's fortunate, we have a diversity of things that are produced, processed uh, here, and then move elsewhere. Um, so, you know, when we're faced with the, the heartbreaking video of, uh, of dairy farmers having to dispose of a product that they worked long and hard every day um, uh, and to not have a, a home for that product, it, it's 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 heart wrenching and and when you see that and then you also see that there is a lot of uh, there's a lot of in food insecurity right now. It's just important for us to have discussions and and tr- see if we can find ways to connect that dot between that farmer and somebody who's food insecure. If there's if there's not a market for that product, let's help find a way to get it to to a home. So. Uh, even before uh, farmers were were faced with milk disposal, uh, our agency started having conversations and discussions with a, a wide array of partners, and that included the, the food distribution networks, to try to find a way to connect that dot between Wisconsin farmers, Wisconsin pr- products, and those who may be food insecure. So uh, this kind of, uh, it all uh, it all grew. Uh, from those discussions, and, and the result is uh, uh, our partners with the Hunger Task Force and Dairy Farmers of Wisconsin, and of course the, the farmers, the transporters, the processors, uh, are, were able to, to announce this, this recovery a, a program this week. Um, and and uh, it's a really generous contribution by the donors of Hunger Task Force, and it's a it is a way to uh, keep the supply chain moving a little bit and getting food to those who are food insecure. All right. Can you give us some details on how the program will actually work? Yeah. So the uh, Hunger Task Force is committing up to a million dollars, and then uh, the farmers will be paid to supply milk to farmer-owned dairy cooperative Kemp's. Uh, and so that's going to be. They're going to start processing the gallon, the thousands of gallons of milk at their at their Cedarburg, Wisconsin facility. Um, so 
you know, the that's that's the that's the startup of it, and then uh, ongoing, uh, Mike, as we hope this is something that uh, will continue to bear fruit, is uh, dairy farmers of Wisconsin. Uh, another part of the partnership will be uh, the one that that helps kind of identify where where milk might be coming from, so that it can get into get into this program. So you're actually. And this is what we're looking for through this uh, crisis we're going through, ways to uh, help the producers that are, are losing markets, but also getting the the production that we have to the food insecure. Yeah, it's, it's, it's basically taking a product that is healthy and nutritious and unfortunately might be disposed of uh, and getting it to people who are food insecure. I mean, it, now... Uh, that's I, I think that's a uh, it's an important thing to do at any time. But uh, with the anxieties there 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 are out there as a result of COVID nineteen and the growing level of food insecurity, uh, it just makes sense for us all to work together uh, to find a way to get that product to people who need it. Randy, can you give us an overview of the situation in Wisconsin right now for dairy producers? Is milk dumping still going on? There and and uh, the we set up our farms our farm hotline. Our, we have a, a farm center that is uh, active and engaging with farmers on a variety of topics, financial counseling, uh, business management, things of that nature. And they tend to also get uh, get phone calls when uh, when times are not going well. That may mean that people are transitioning out. Uh, we also have a farmer mental health uh, voucher program for those who may need it. And the calls to that farm that farm hotline are increasing. Um, so the number of people who are calling are are is increasing. Uh, the, the severity of those calls, the anxiety that people are feeling right now, is is high. Um, we've uh, encouraged people who uh, who are faced with milk disposal to contact the farm center and and document it. Uh, that helps our agency advocate uh, for. Farmers, if we have a, a really firm handle on what kind, of, what the volume of disposal might be, um, as, so as we contact our federal partners, we can we can actually put a face on what that looks like. Um, the the calls to the farm center are uh, are um, confidential, but there people haven't been using that as a resource. So what we know is from our outreach with stakeholders that disposal is occurring, um, but we also know that there are a lot of creative uh, creative approaches going on out there where uh, farmers, cooperatives, in some cases retailers, or uh, people from, uh, from uh, the food distribution network are trying to find ways to make that work. One of the things I, I guess I would emphasize is that this is, a, this is a, an opportunity to work with some uh, a, a local food distribution network. But uh, one of the things that our agency has done, and actually many of the agriculture groups in the state of Wisconsin have, have jumped in as well, and our congressional delegation, is uh, to highlight the importance of having the USDA bring substantial purchasing power uh, to the table and to buy uh, commodities that might not currently have a home. Right. And, and on a much larger level, in, in Wisconsin and many other states, uh, move those commodities 
uh, which are healthy, nutritious, and and may not have a home to those who who are in need. So we've we've asked the Secretary Purdue uh, to, on a larger level, bring the resources of the USDA to bear uh, and make substantial purchases of a wide variety of commodities and make them available. Hopefully we'll be hearing something on that soon. That's Randy Romanski, Interim Secretary for the Wisconsin Department of Agriculture, Trade, and Consumer Protection. We're also joined now by Sherry Tesler. She's Executive Director of the Hunger Task Force in Wisconsin. Sherry, thank you for joining us. I want to get your thoughts on this Wisconsin Dairy Recovery Program that uh, Randy was just telling us about, Dairy Farmers of Wisconsin and the Wisconsin Department of Agriculture, along with your Hunger Task Force. Uh, Give us your thoughts on this and and, uh, how you see it working. Well, Hunger Task Force has decided that um, the donated resources that we have gotten from so many individual donors since the initiation of the stay-at-home order should be applied to bailing out the um, dairy industry here in Wisconsin to make sure that farmers are receiving fair pay for their milk, that that milk can be processed by Wisconsin-based businesses and packaged and delivered to food banks and food pantries that are free and local across the state. So we made a commitment yesterday to purchase at least a million dollars worth of products and we are now um, working out all the logistics around that in order to try to bring some relief to um, farmers that are in deep pain. Yeah, logistics can always be a challenge. Uh, How soon do you see this really uh, kicking in and uh, people being able to access uh, these dairy products? As soon as tomorrow, Kemp's Dairy will be providing the Hunger Task Force with its first truckload of milk, and that will go out to the Hunger Task Force Network, which is more than 50 programs strong here in Milwaukee County. Um, We are working with Englehart Dairy to um, manage the logistics for our Hunger Relief Federation partners um, that go to Green Bay, um, Washera County, La Crosse, Kenosha, Racine, um, and we'll continue to expand that network through a phone call that we have with our statewide partners this afternoon. We're also fielding calls that are referred over from the um, dairy um, farmers of Wisconsin for um, additional dairy participation um, from other dairy farmer cooperatives across the state, as well as their related producers and packagers. It's obviously there's, and unfortunately, there's a great demand uh, because of the situation uh, with the economy and the COVID-19, the the food insecure. So hooking this, I've talked a lot about this today. We've got this demand on one side, we've got the supply on the other side. It's a matter of connecting the two, and that's how this program can really step in and, and be beneficial to both sides. Yeah, while we wait for that federal help that Randy was talking about, we need to do some stuff now. And so this is an interim measure to try to get us through to a point probably in June when we'll start to see those commodities being picked up by the federal government. They just don't move as fast as we need them to here in the state of Wisconsin, and we want to make sure that dairy farmers um, manage through this time. Well, Sherry, thank you for being with us. Sherry Tesler, Executive Director of the Hunger Task Force. Randy Romanski, Interim Secretary for the Wisconsin Department of Agriculture, Trade, and Consumer Protection. Um, Great to see uh, this partnership working to help people in need in your state. We hope we'll see more things like this in other states as well. Thank you both for being with us. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. So there you have some information on the Wisconsin Dairy Recovery Program. As more and more of these efforts are, are kind of starting up, And as I said, pointing out, still needing some help 
from the federal government. We still wait to hear from USDA on that. Up next, what impact is COVID-19 having on ag equipment sales? We'll talk with Kurt Blades with the Association of Equipment Manufacturers next on AOA. Farmers can't choose the weather, trade policy, or market prices, but they can choose the most advanced dicamba with confidence. Ingenia Herbicide has the lowest volatility of all dicamba salts for more successful on-target applications. And it's straight from the dicamba experts, BASF. So make the confident choice for your soybean crop. Talk to your BASF rep or authorized retailer. Ingenia Herbicide is a U.S. EPA restricted-use pesticide. Additional state restrictions may apply. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And we're joined now by Kurt Blade, Senior Vice President, Ag Services for the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. Kurt, good to talk with you and hope you're well. Doing well. Good to be on. You know, I was thinking... um, how many times in 2019 in agriculture we said, can't wait to get 2019 over, turn the page, it'll be better in 2020, or at least we hoped it would be better in 2020. And now here we are in the midst of a pandemic. And uh, I guess it's be careful what you ask for, right? You don't, you can't assume it's going to be better the next year automatically. Now we're dealing with a whole new challenge, unlike one we've ever seen really in our lifetimes. Uh, so when you look at uh, your latest numbers, your sales numbers for ag equipment, are they being impacted by COVID-19? Well, Mike, without without question, during these unprecedented times, uh, you know, it's a gut punch to the economy and the uh, the ag equipment sector currently is, is sort of beginning to show some of those same uh, same effects. We put our March numbers out. Uh, and we saw, you know, kind of decline across the board, both in the U.S. and Canada, across all sectors, actually across all, uh, all all classes of equipment. Uh, having said that, you know, it's a little early to determine how much of that was COVID-19 related, how much of that was, you know, just a pause. So, you know, I think we're a little too early to determine what the actual effect is. But without question, I think we're, we're it's safe to say that this is this is this is a bad time for everyone in the industry. And the equipment manufacturers, in terms of new sales, are 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 seeing some of those same effects across the board. Yeah, you'll have a better indication in in next month's report. A- absolutely, and you know, we look for the look for the April report to really give us a uh, an idea of what what the true impact is on the, on COVID nineteen. But we did see, you know, by class, uh, you know, pretty much across the board, under forty horsepower was down about fifteen percent month over month, um, 40 to 100 horsepower, about 15% month over month, 100 plus horsepower is down 18%, uh, articulated four-wheel drives and around, down around 17%, self-propelled combines down around 11%. And, and that's, you know, that's, those are not great numbers. Now, having said that, March is, you know, it's about an average month for equipment sales. So when we see the April numbers, April is typically one of the strongest months. So, you know, we're, we're getting ready to in, enter into, you know, peak equipment buying time. So what we'll be really curious to see, you know, what impact is, uh, you know, the, the social distancing and, and, and stay-at-home orders are having, you know, on, on dealerships and their ability to, to service uh, uh, 
equipment needs for uh, for new equipment. We also know there's a lot that goes into pulling the trigger on a, a big equipment purchase. Uh, certainly, what the markets are doing, but just also just the the attitude, the optimism or lack thereof, and how things are going and how farmers perceive them going uh, in the months ahead, and all of that plays a part in their decision. Absolutely, absolutely. That that all figures in, as we've said oftentimes before. It's a, it's absolutely a business decision, but there's a bit of emotion in, involved with uh, with purchasing new equipment. So, so having said that, what a lot of our you know members have been focused on, and I know that their dealer networks have absolutely been focused on really pivoting the last 30 days to really figure out what we can do to make sure that farmers get the the parts and service that they need out in the field to make sure that we get this plant and this this, uh, this crop in the ground. So that's what we've been really kind of focusing on and putting a lot of our energy and helping make sure that the dealers are safe and the service folks are safe and that the supply chains are open for for those parts and services so folks can, can really, you know, continue to get those crops in the ground. Yeah, and that's important to note, Kurt. We've talked a lot about uh, the food supply chain, getting food to the grocery stores and, you know, however – whatever that takes, and we're, we're, we're seeing the problems with impacting plants now, closing and things like that. But there's a supply chain to farmers as well, going to the fields to plant, not only in seed and uh, fertilizers and fuel and things like that, but, as you said, parts and service. Parts and service are a, are a big part of it. And, you know, I think uh, we've been hearing some pretty great stories out there of, you know, equipment dealers being pretty innovative and in how they're supplying farmers, whether whether it be you know parts left on the curb or or uh, you know doing teleconferences uh, to do service remote diagnostics and those types of things. I think there's some real innovation out there that is you know getting the job done. What I think will be interesting, though, Mike, is you know what's you know we get a taste for some of these technologies and and maybe some solutions that we we might have not ever wanted to adopt before and we realized that hey this is kind of an interesting way in which we can uh, you know interact with our dealer and you know farming is very much a personal business and a one-to-one relationship but i think that we're going to find some of these technologies may you know um, you know be here to stay in terms of you know after this current pandemic we may find that that uh, this is the way some of uh, some of the, the farmers like to interact with their service providers including dealers we're also seeing, we've talked about uh, how ethanol plants are, are helping to make hand sanitizers. We've heard about a lot of manufacturers switching their uh, production lines over to making masks or other personal protection equipment. That's even happening in some cases uh, with uh, ag equipment manufacturers, isn't it? Absolutely. Sort of ac- across the board, you know, we've we kind of jumped onto this pretty early on with our with our manufacturers, and they've got a lot of, you know, you know. Number one, the the ag economy was uh, was declared essential, so we've been doing what we can to make sure that the plants stay open, so we can get parts and service out to the and and new equipment out to the um, you know, out to the farmers. But having said that, there's also you know some idle time or some other things where those those uh, factory lines can absolutely be used to produce other things like respirators and. And, and masks and just to help with the whole society. I've been really, really pleased with, with hearing stories here and there from, um, from my members on how they're participating in this, in this uh, global pandemic and to help to solve the problems for the world. 
All right, Kurt, thanks for the update. Uh, stay well, and we'll, we'll stay in touch. Talk again next month. You bet. We'll talk next month. No, thanks. All right. Kurt Blade, Senior Vice President, Ag Services for the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. That does it for today. Thank you for being with us. Be careful. Stay safe. Join us tomorrow on AOA. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice. With powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states.